Welcome back to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, episode number 93. Today, we are interviewing an amazing guest, Jordan Syatt, the author of Eat It, the most sustainable diet and workout ever made, as well as a YouTuber, Instagram sensation, Gary Vaynerchuk's trainer, and a huge personality overall in the evidence-based fitness space. Jordan brings a ton of value, simplicity, and fire in this episode, and we're really, really lucky to have interviewed him on our show. So thanks again, Jordan, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Now, we don't interrupt the show midway with sponsored ads or asking you for ratings and reviews. So while you're getting settled, we ask that you just take two seconds to show your support for our show by giving it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Ratings and reviews allow us to bring more knowledgeable and influential people onto the show for you to learn everything possible about the science and sustainability with respect to your goals. If you liked this episode in particular... Screenshot it, tag us on Instagram. Our handles are in the show notes so that you can show your support. One share could truly be the catalyst for someone in your life to transform their body, their health, their fitness for good. And of course, it helps our show grow too, and we appreciate that. Thanks again for listening, and we don't take your attention for granted, so let's get right into it. Episode number 93, Keeping It Simple, with special guest Jordan Syatt. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Lynn, and I'm here with my co-host, Marissa Roy. And in today's episode, we have a super special guest with us today. We have Jordan Syatt with us, and I just want to start the episode off by uh, saying that about 30 minutes ago, I called my mom to let her know who we were having on the podcast because she's a huge Gary Vee fan. <laughs> and oh, so yeah. She was super excited uh, to have you on. So um... that's awesome. Tell her hello. <laughs> I will. But um, if you want to give our audience a little intro about you and how you got started and where you are today. Yeah, sure. So my name's Jordan. I'm a short, bald, nerdy dude who likes to lift weights <laughs> and help people improve their relationship with food. Uh, I got started in the, in the fitness industry very young, very young. So at, at like, so I'm super short. I come from a very short family and my mom wanted my brother and I to be able to defend ourselves. So I remember when I was eight, she walked into the living room and she was like, I'm going to put you two in wrestling. And I was eight years old. And the only wrestling that I knew was WWF style wrestling. So I was like, you want me to hit someone with the chair? Oh, like, no, <laughs> you idiot. Like Olympic style wrestling. But I had no idea what that was. Uh, so she put us into it and I absolutely loved it. Um, I was I was the black sheep in the family from the perspective of family super smart, like doctors, lawyers, principals, superintendents, all that. And I was terrible in school, but I was very, very athletic and I, I loved sports. So fell in love with wrestling, absolutely just obsessed with it. Ended up doing that all from eight years old, all the way to 18 years old. When, when I got to uh, high school, I made varsity as a freshman. So I beat a junior out for the varsity spot. And I was good from a technique perspective and an endurance perspective, but from a strength perspective, I was only 14 years old going up against mainly 16, 17, 18 year olds. So my strength wasn't where it needed to be. So I was living in a suburb of Boston. And so I, I reached out to a gym a couple of towns over from me and I was like, I wrote them an email. I was like, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floor. I'll just do whatever you need. Just let me come and learn from you. And I was really fortunate because they, number one, they let me come. They took me under their wing and they were also very science-based. It was a super science-based gym. So from 14 years old, I started interning at a gym that was just absolutely incredible. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I just, I never stopped. Wow. You lucked out when it yeah. comes to uh, where you landed with all of that because it could yes. have gone very much the other way. Uh, yeah, I was super lucky. They they gave me all like so many amazing resources and people to follow and books to read. And I mean, I, I was on PubMed from the time I was 15 and they were, like, re showing me like some of the best books and training materials that like in the world. So I was very, very lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm curious because there's a big gap between that and where you are right now. Um, what caused you or what, how did you fall into becoming Gary V's trainer? Do you want the long version or the short version? <laughs> Start with the short and then we'll see if we want to elaborate. Let's, let's go with that. Okay. So, so I started making content online in 2011. So 
July of 2011. So about about 11 years ago now, a little bit, a little bit more than 11 years ago now, I started making online content. So I was training at Westside Barbell. Um, you know, Westside, I'm assuming, yeah. yeah, like Louis Simmons. So I was training at Westside and and I I started a website and I was writing articles of one a week and I was 20 or 21 years old and, and so like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I I didn't know an online business was possible. I had no idea. I was just making, I was writing articles to try and help people and to sort of just sort of blog about what I was doing in my training. And so I kept doing that at least one article a week, every week I did that from July, 2011 until, um, 2015. So every single week, nonstop. And, and so I wrote one article in 2012 that was to this date to this day it's like one of the least popular least read articles ever um, <laughs> for the first year of my website it was only getting like 20 views a day on a good day and 18 of them were for my mom and so like <laughs> was it like it for the first year of writing these super it, it's not like an instagram post like these are 2000 3000 4000 word articles that would take at least a week to do from start to finish um in 2012, I wrote this one article. It was about how to improve your posture if you work at a desk all day. And I thought it was going to be a great article and people were going to love it. And no one liked it except one, one guy liked it. There was one guy. And, and so this is a little after a little over a year after I started writing. And so I started getting a little bit of people following me and finding me. And I was doing guest articles because that was the thing at the time. And people would find me through that. And and this one guy found the article and he commented on it. And I don't know what he said. I didn't know who he was and any of it. But anytime someone commented on an article, I would always reply. So he asked a question in this article and I replied. I gave him an answer and that was it. It's like, that's, I didn't know who he was, nothing about him. Um, and so then several years go by. This is in 2012. So keep writing, keep doing stuff, da, da, da. Um, and then in 2015, I moved to Israel. So I, I went fully online in 2015. I moved to Israel. I was just hanging out there working. And one day I get a call from, from Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer. And he was like, hey, like, how would you like to coach Gary? And uh, it was actually, you know, it was an email. It wasn't a call. It was an email. How would you like to coach Gary? And at first I thought it was a joke, like a prank. I was like, this isn't fucking real. Like how, who, why, like I loved Gary and I was like, man, there's no way that his team is just reaching out to me. And, and I, but I replied, I was like, yeah, that'd be great. They're like, okay, cool. Like how, how about an interview like in the next week or so? And so I booked a ticket to New York city from Tel Aviv, flew to, flew to New York, coached Gary for an hour, flew back. Um, and six <laughs> weeks later, I get a text from an unknown number saying, are you ready? And I was like, who the fuck is this? six weeks had already gone by i was like i don't don't know who this is i I thought i assumed i just didn't get the job and then i get a a text with a picture of gary shirtless flexing and he said um he was like you start like in a month i was like holy shit so that's how i found out i got the job but (laughs) what happened is his coach the guy who emailed me and reached out and said would you like to uh how would you like to coach gary he was the guy that commented on my article in 2012. Oh, wow. mm. And in 2012, he was actually an accountant in Chicago. And so he found my article from a guest. He found me from a guest article I wrote for another guy, followed me from there, saw the article, asked a question. And again, I didn't know who he was. I just, I replied to it, answered his question. He followed me ever since. And so he ended up switching careers, moved to New York city, became a personal trainer became Gary's personal trainer. He met Gary in New York. And then, uh, and then he had a two-year deal with Gary. His name is Mike Vacanti, by the way, we're best friends now. We have a business together and all of that. But um, he, uh, he ended up coaching Gary, had a two-year deal and he, Gary hired him mainly for physique purposes. But one thing that they learned throughout their time working together is Gary had a lot of, you know, knee pain, back pain, hip pain. Like he had a lot, he had some shoulder issues. He had a lot of issues and Mike assumed a lot of that was, was postural. And so when his deal was up and Gary, Gary asked if he was going to continue to train him, Mike was like, no, I'm, I'm good. Two years is enough. Uh, Gary was like, well, who's going to coach me next? And Mike said, I think I know a guy because he, mm-hmm. he really wanted to help Gary improve his pain and, and improve it, all of that. So Mike reached out to me and, and that was it. And then I remember when, when I did the interview, Gary said, if let's he's like, if we work together for several years, if all you do is fix my back pain, it'll be worth it. 
And then within wow. three months, his back pain was gone. So wow, yeah, because his, awesome. his back would go out at least once a year, every year since he was 18, because he fell off his bed when he was 18 he, uh, off the top of a bunk bed. And ever since then, every year his back would go out and it would be like a two week thing. And then ever since his back has, hasn't gone out and he has no back pain. Like he's, it's, it's, it was great. So, but that's how I got the job. Wow. We love that. That's so cool. I don't think I've ever heard that origin story, but it's, mm-hmm. it's so crazy that, and, and you know, this happens kind of, I guess on a smaller scale with myself, I'm sure with you, Christina, there's people lurking in the shadows, watching what you do all the time. And all of a sudden they come out pop out of nowhere and they say, I want to hire you, or, you know, I really want you to be my trainer or, you know, here's this opportunity. And it's just like, you, you never even knew that that person existed or was, was watching your stuff. So that's so cool. You'll, you'll hear that story again in December. Cause that's part of, <laughs> of what I discuss at the, at the event. Great. Cool. So you get a sneak peek, but I think like you were saying, Marissa, it just goes to show like, just to treat everyone the exact same and don't assume anything about anyone. And just, I, I, yeah, I love it. That's such a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, and, and again, I'll highlight this again at the event, but it was one of my least popular, least read articles. It was not something that went viral. It was not something that like people, everyone wants to go viral now. And everyone like it's human and interaction is far more important than anything else. Like yeah. views mean far less than human interaction. And so, I mean, thank God I was replying to everybody and I replied to him and gave him a great answer and he continued to follow me. And, uh, you know, you just, I think a lot of, I see a lot of people nowadays, they, they make a post, whatever it is, and someone will write a comment, even something as simple as great post. And all the person will do will reply with like an emoji or they'll just like their comment. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Someone went out of their way to give you a compliment. And all you can do is like give a fire emoji. Are you out of your <laughs> mind? And that same person is complaining that their business isn't doing well. It's like, I don't know. Like I, maybe it's how I was brought up. Like every time I got a gift, I had to write a thank you note by hand. It's like, if someone gives me a compliment, I'm going to go out of my way to thank them and it should make sure they know what they appreciate it. Now with my audience size, it's not as easy. And I do, there are things that slip through the cracks, unfortunately, but like, I think one of the reasons my audience grew is because every, uh, the way that I used to do it is I used to post three times a day, every day on Instagram, three times a day, every single day. And for the first 30 minutes after the post that that 30 minutes after I posted was solely delegated to, or solely relegated to answering every single comment not with emojis, not like by liking it, but by full responses for every single comment. Like, I think that's how you build an audience of people who really care about you. That's a great perspective shift um, because it's so easy to kind of push those things to the side or be like, yeah, it's just a, it's just a thumbs up emoji comment or whatever it is. Um, so I love that. And I imagine, think that goes a long if, way. Imagine if you invited people over your house for dinner and, and they, they like start talking to you and you don't reply. (laughs) That's what's going on. When you, you've invited people to your page, you make a piece of content, you say something, they reply and you ignore them that you're inviting people over for dinner and you're not talking to them. That's Mm -hmm. how fucking insane it is to me. Yeah. That's so funny. This is a great analogy. I love it. Um, great content advice from Jordan that we didn't even expect to get. So (laughs) Um, I do want to dive into, you know, want to give the audience a little bit more if they don't know who Jordan Syatt is, a couple of the things that you do. And, um, you know, the reason we wanted to speak with you today was we we really admire not only the the fire behind what you say and how you say it, just like how you said, like, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, we <laughs> we love that. Um, and, and how you articulate that when it comes to health and fitness and science communicating um, and being very direct and simple in that. And you've done that in a number of ways. I personally have not read your book yet, but I have watched through the whole Big Mac challenge. Um, I'm a big fan of all the content on Instagram and the reels and all of the analogies and things that you do to draw the real, the bigger picture for people in a simple way and in a direct way. And that's something that's so important because we are in an industry now that is so hellbent on insignificant details. (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, tell us a little bit more about just how you have created this style of directness and fiery passion for what you do um, and not confusing people with the details. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I think there's several things to break down. Number one is just like my personality. 
Um, I was brought up in Boston and I feel like that's partly, you know, a very East coast style of, of interaction. And I know a lot of West coast people are really turned off by it sometimes. Um, like they're like, you're so brash, but I like, this is how I was brought up. Like, this is how you talk to people. Like, that's how you talk with your family, your friends. So, um, and a lot of it's like set out of love and like caring and passion. Um, so a lot of people don't like that style, but I think once people get to know me, they do. And I definitely have more East coast fans than I do West coast. That's for sure. And, you know, just <laughs> cultural. Um, but if you go back and look at my content, cause I was on YouTube starting in 2012, you go back and look at my, my old YouTube videos, you're going to see a very different creator. You're going to see a very nervous kid, um, nervous, chubby, like red in the face. Like I was so nervous that I used to like sway side to side in all my YouTube videos and people would leave comments and they'd be like, bro, like what the, like, why are you moving so much? Cause I was so nervous. I was so nervous on camera. And, and so it just took practice, but I think in terms of, you know, just that style of delivery of just, you know, being who I am, I, I used to not really swear as much. And cause I would try and I wanted to be professional and that's what I was supposed to do. Cause a, a good professional business person doesn't swear. And then I was like, I started to realize, I remember, I remember thinking one day very vividly, I was like, listen, when you go to a job interview you're usually all buttoned up and you're nice. You're like, Oh yes. Thank you. I would have, what an honor to be here. Thank you so much. But like within six months, you're like joking around. Ah, fuck you motherfucker. Like da, da, da. I was like, why not just start with that? Like, why not just start with who you are like, rather than having this fake persona? Cause that's what people really care about. So then I started just being who I was and people really enjoyed it. And, and also I had far less imposter syndrome mm. because I think a lot of the feeling of, of being a fraud and imposter syndrome comes from being someone you're not right. When you're, you're trying to be someone that you're not, I was like, I'm not this person. Like I swear a lot. I'm like, I, I just say it how I feel. And so by trying to stifle that, I was actually feeling like a fraud because I wasn't being who I was. So that was one aspect of it. And then in terms of breaking things down and being super simple, I was in special education growing up. I was not super smart. And I think a lot of the the analogies that I come up with stem from that's what I had to do when I was a kid in order to actually like pass tests and like come up with really simple ways to understand these topics. Um, like I, w- I had an IEP, which is like an individualized education plan. And um, I like, I got extra time on tests. I was that kid who the teacher would call out and say, you got to go to this separate room. Like, because I was, I was in special education. And one of the ways that I was able to actually learn and to, to help was just, all right, how do I take this really complex topic and break it down? It's so simple that a six-year-old can understand it. And a lot of that actually came from analogies that I would make in my own head. So I think that for me helped me a lot as a creator because I realized if people really wanted to understand things on a very deep scientific level, they would have gone gone to school for it. Like they, this would be their profession. That that's what they would do. I was like, they don't need to hear like the anterior pelvic tilt, and they don't need to know the whole Krebs cycle and all. Like they don't need to know that, nor do they want to know that. And the reality is, most of the time, people talk about that stuff is they're just they're trying to they're trying to get their ego stroked. When you're when you're really talking in those terms, you're trying to get other people to say, oh my God, you're so smart. And you want to get patted on the back. It's like, no one gives a fuck at all. It's like that for me, a really like true expert can break things down so simply a six-year-old can understand it. And you can use regular words. You don't need to try and sound smart. And so for me, like that just came naturally to me just because I'm not going to fucking stand up here and talk about like super scientific, scientific stuff because they're going to fall asleep. It's not going to be fun or enjoyable for them. If they really cared about it, they would have went to school for it. So let's just figure out a way to make it so practical. They can understand exactly what to do immediately rather than trying to get them to say, wow, he's using really big words. He must be so smart. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it reminds me of how I used to be when I first started off as a coach And I think it was kind of like you said, it's like that imposter syndrome. Like I was like, I'm not a coach. So I have to use all these big words to my clients and, you know, have them say like, oh, okay, you must know what you're talking about. But now it's just like, give them the information that is going to help them and break it down so they understand it and kind of sift through all the bullshit, like you said. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I've had that phase, definitely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, go but back I think... and read my old articles. You're going to read a very different author because yeah. you know, I did that shit. And then I, I remember being like, why the fuck am I doing this? I'm just going to use Harry Potter references and <laughs> shit. And it, it was much better. People enjoyed it way more. And what a surprise that when I stopped doing that and started speaking like I speak and using Harry Potter references, my audience started to grow. Like yeah. it's, it's not a coincidence. Yeah. Well that, and the fact that, you know, if you explain something simply, it clicks for somebody, it makes sense. And then if they want to know more beyond that, they will ask. <laughs> that's something that's really important too, that I've had to learn through trial and error through the years of being a coach as well as, um, yeah, they, they will ask if they want to know otherwise, like just break, just break down the takeaway. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's talk about what exactly you're breaking down for people. That is really, really important. And I think I could probably sum it up in two phrases. Number one, calorie deficit. And number two, um, the scale is unreliable and we can use it, but we shouldn't trust it for everything that it's worth. Right. And so, um, you've explained this in very just clear to the point ways with a really big series that you did the big Mac challenge. So we'll talk about that a little bit, um, as well as just a lot of different practical examples. One that sticks out to me that like, I remember very, very well was, um, you were talking about how people put so much value and worth and thought into their weight on the scale. And then you stood on the scale, stepped off, drank a bottle of water, stepped on again, and it was completely different. And you were like, see, like, <laughs> what are you doing? So yeah, I don't know which one you, you'd rather start with, but um, whichever one you want, you're the boss. You two are the bosses. So you, <laughs> yeah. you tell me what you want to talk about. Tell us more about what gave you the inspiration for the Big Mac challenge. Mm, so that is because of supersize me, which mm -hmm. fucking sucks. <laughs> like an awful, awful document. Well, I should say this. It's incredibly well done for yeah. the goal of Morgan Spurlock. And I should say, I'm not speaking poorly of Morgan, Morgan Spurlock. I'm speaking poorly of his work. Two different things. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know him. He might be a wonderful man, but that was a cherry picked piece of shit documentary that had a single singular goal of trying to scare the shit out of people and make the fast food industry look awful. Mm -hmm. And I would bet an ungodly amount of money that that documentary has led to far more disordered eating habits and disordered eating uh, behaviors than anything else in our in our time. It's still being shown in schools. It's still being shown in, in wow. high schools and middle schools. Um, millions upon millions upon millions of views. I remember first time seeing it in in school. Yeah. When I was a young kid, and it's still being shown. Wow. And it's awful. And so there are many reasons why it's awful, but. We'll go through a few of them. Number one, um, let's talk about let's talk about how the name of the documentary is called Supersize Me. Why is it? Why is that the name? Well, there are a lot of underlying reasons, but he made the rules that he has to eat only McDonald's for thirty days. Right now, under his rule set, he was required to say yes every time they asked him to supersize it, as though that's mcdonald's fucking fault <laughs> he said yes as though like he doesn't have the ability to say no i'm good like i'm just gonna have the regular size right and and the way he framed it is like oh mcdonald's is so bad they're just like a capitalist pig company that just wants to make more money and make you fat it's like you have the choice to say no yeah so that's number one uh it, it was as though like it was actually very it was so fear-mongering from the perspective of it's like in all aspects of our life, you have choices. You can decide. You you have the power to say yes or to no. If you want someone in your life, you can have someone in your life. If you don't want that person in your life, get them the fuck out of your life. If you don't want the supersized fries, don't get the supersized fries. So that was, for me, a big part. It was like, why, why is this a huge deal when he was required to say yes? He could have said no. Um, there, there are other aspects, one of them being, I'll never forget this. When I first watched this, I thought it was weird, even as a kid. But as I got older and more involved in, in fitness, I was like, that was really screwed up. In the documentary, I think it's the second day. I watched it many, many times when I was doing the Big Mac Challenge. I think the second day, he was eating a breakfast and he, he was eating it in his car with the cameraman. And he was kept saying, he's like, oh my God, I'm so full. I'm so full. I can't eat anymore. But another part of his rule set was you have to finish all of your meals. 
And so he ate all of it and all of it and all of it. It was a massive, massive meal. And he, he ended up throwing up after because he ate so much. And I was like, number one, again, you can decide if you're going to eat all of your meal. There's nothing wrong with leaving stuff on your plate. You can decide, you know what? I'm done. I'm full. I'm not going to eat anymore. And he literally ate to the point of throwing up. What the, like, what is this is, and again, if you actually, if you watch the documentary, he says at the very beginning, he's like, the goal of this documentary is to replicate the lifestyle of the average American. The average American is number one, not eating at McDonald's three times a day. Number two, they're not required to say yes every time they supersize, they ask you to supersize it. And they're definitely not eating to the point of throwing up because they're so full. So it is immediately a nullified experiment. It's like, it's, it's done with the sole intention of trying to scare people. Um, and there were other aspects where I was watching it and all he had to do, he had to get every item on the menu at least once. That was it. And I, I thought, cool, that's a good idea. I, I like that aspect. You know, every item on the menu at least once, fine. But even once he had gotten all the items on the menu, it's like he he would get the biggest size, trash can size, regular Cokes. It's like, you know, you could just get a water or a Diet Coke or any, but he was he was trying to gain as much weight as he possibly could. That wasn't like a, hey, let's try and have a, a moderate diet. It was like, let's try and have the most extreme weight change to create the biggest stir for this documentary. That's what his goal was. It wasn't to replicate the average American. It wasn't to show anything other than this is how much my weight and health markers change. It's like, well, yeah, fucking of course. And when you <laughs> talked about when you talked about the the experiment that I've done where like I'll step on the scale, get off, drink a bottle of water, get back on, they didn't show what he did leading up to the weigh-ins. And mm. I guarantee you that he drank a ton. And like, who knows? Like, who knows if he lied about his weight there? He gained like 27 pounds in that month. It's like, I've never mm. seen anyone do that. I've never seen, and I've seen some real people struggling with food. I've never seen anybody like he, he, if there's so many ways to manipulate the scale, if you know anything about weight controlled sports, wrestling, fighting, even crew, like people will dehydrate themselves. It's like when I was wrestling, it was not hard to lose. I mean, it was hard, but it wasn't uncommon to lose 10 pounds in a matter of a few hours. Yeah. So part of me wonders, did he do that? Did he go like, not to mention he, uh, he was living in New York city and he stopped all walking, all extra walking. He, so he would only take cabs everywhere. Like the oh average American, gosh. especially in New York is not is not taking cabs everywhere. It's way more expensive. The average New Yorker easily gets eight to 12,000 steps a day. So it's like, not only did you start eating drastically more, more calories, but you started exercising. You stopped all exercise, stopped all walking. So what a fucking shocker you gained weight. Like this, <laughs> it's not the fast food idiot. It's the 10,000 extra calories you're eating every day. So that was my inspiration for doing the big Mac challenge. Cause I was like, I want to show people that you can incorporate your favorite foods. You can have McDonald's, God forbid, every now and then if you want. And you don't have to worry that you're like, because I remember my mom would always feel really bad. Like my mom was a single mom and we did not have much money. And she would feel so bad if we had like, quote unquote, had to go to McDonald's because a long car ride or whatever. And things weren't nearly as convenient as they are now. You know, 7-Eleven has all these Greek yogurts and, and eggs and all these great options. They didn't have that stuff back then. It was like, it was all like junk food basically. And so my mom would feel so bad. She's like, I feel like I'm poisoning my kids. And I was like, I don't want these parents feeling like they're poisoning their children. If they're on a long car ride, kids are in the backseat screaming, crying. Cause like, they're so hungry. It's like, go to McDonald's. It's not a big deal. It's totally fine. And so I ate one Big Mac a day, every day for 30 days. And that wasn't all that I ate, but it was part of my nutrition. And I lost seven pounds in those 30 mm. days. I was like, just, I was able to incorporate that into an overall healthy diet and people freaked out. Yeah. It's so crazy. Um, just how binary people can look at things like that, where it's like, you have this whole setup and you just broke it down like wonderfully of like how the setup of supersize me set this man up to gain as much weight as he did. Um, but we watch something like that and it sticks in our brain as McDonald's equals bad. Um, and McDonald's equals poison. But what, one thing that I love about the Big Mac challenge is not only the point that you drove home is like you can make progress while eating a Big Mac every day. Is it the best thing in the world for satiety and everything? Probably not, but um, no, it's, it's not like my goal wasn't to say Big Macs are healthy or oh, eat yeah. McDonald's. My goal was let's improve your relationship with food. My wife, she's nine months pregnant. Like I have my phone on, it's not on do not disturb because she's <laughs> like 
any moment. So yeah. it's like, I'm always checking. But one of the best things about over this pregnancy, is she's been super healthy. Her nutrition has been dialed. She's been walking a ton. It's been great. Her blood pressure is amazing. Um, but regularly, like she loves McDonald's chicken nuggets. Like she fucking loves McDonald's chicken nuggets. So regularly we go and like, it's one of the, like, the best experiences of this pregnancy yeah. so far was like the time we got to spend together at McDonald's. It's like, that's priceless. That's amazing. And her health is amazing. It's not like that is ruining her or the baby, any of that. Like, thank God everything is great. It's like, yeah. it's these, it's so many of these things can actually ruin your life and, and create more fear. And, and you lose out on living in the moment because some fuck made a documentary that makes you believe that it's, it's poison. Mm -hmm. It's not. And then everyone, people are always like, Oh, McDonald's is gross. Anyway. It's like, you're a fucking liar. McDonald's is delicious. <laughs> it's like they sell a billion burgers a day. Like they're it's, it's delicious. Tastes and it, it, it tastes amazing. Yeah. The other thing I like though, about the whole series that you did is also highlighting the power of choice and the fact that like what you said earlier, you have choices with every single thing that you do. And that includes what you put in your mouth <laughs> and what you don't put in your mouth and the choices that you had to make to make the Big Mac fit into your day to fit into a fat loss diet and all of the context that you built into this challenge, to not only drive home the point of supersize me this is terrible because of all those reasons, but also how can you make fat loss sustainable? How can you not let the scale get you down? How can you have a choice, even if you go what your perception of off track is and make other choices throughout the day that allow you to still move forward. Right. And just removing that binary good, bad association that we have. So I, I love that. Um, you really empowered people with that, I think. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's it's a just like you were saying, it's a really good thing to highlight. And I think it takes away from the idea that like if you eat something quote unquote bad, it's gonna ruin all your progress and, and how to fit it in. Cause I think it's it's really important. And I'm sure from your experience too, like that's a lot of the behind the scenes that coaches have to work on with their clients is it's not necessarily like, you know, just dieting. It's like what they're choosing and, and how to improve their relationship with food and get away from labeling things as, as good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's hard too, because, you know, you've been in this industry for, I think longer than either of us have, but like even myself, um, relatively young in my career with things, but I'm beyond the point personally that I will forget for myself that like, oh, this is good or bad. Like I can, I can have that positive relationship with food. I can get the, the bad thing, eat it, be fine, move on with my day. That I'll forget that like something as simple as McDonald's equals bad is like universally known to like majority of people and how much of like a mind fuck that was for just like everybody really makes me step back when I see something like that. And again, how simple you communicate these things across people are and how important that message is compared to like the nuance that I'm experiencing in my journey every day. Right. And so mm -hmm. really just being able to take a step back and say, this is what's important. <laughs> it's calories in versus calories out. It's just eat the damn thing and move on. Mm -hmm. um, and those themes that are going to help people move forward because they can attach more to those than the nitty gritty details that the, the industry just confuses us with. There's something called the curse of knowledge. Have you heard of that? No, but I could probably guess what it is. <laughs> it's, it's basically once you become more of an expert in something, you forget what it was like to be a beginner. Yeah. And, and it's so easy for this to happen to coaches in, in any industry, but as you know, as coaches, we, I see it a lot in coaches where, you know, for you going to get a, a McDonald's or whatever, it's not that big of a deal, but for someone else, they're having an anxiety attack over it. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think we often forget that we forget that as coaches and, and the way to help that person is not to explain the laws of thermodynamics. Like that's not how you help that person. <laughs> you break it down and, and you say something like no one ever got skinny from eating one salad, just like no one ever got fat from having one donut. And it's like, Oh, that makes sense. Cool. It's like simple analogies that help people understand, like, stop fucking talking about the Krebs cycle. Stop talking about like insulin resistance. They don't know or care. They want to eat the fucking nuggets to <laughs> so help them like understand that it's okay every now and then. 
Yeah. And I love that. And it's not like, oh, here's this article. You're like, here, watch me eat a fucking Big Mac and watch what happens. Like you're like, watch. (laughs) I just got tired. I got tired of, of, you can only send so many PubMed things so many times. And cause then er, you can find a study saying anything you can, any study, like you can find a study saying this, you can find a study saying that I was like, fuck it. I'll just do it. I'll like have my videographer follow me around for a month and we'll just make a video. And it turned out to be great. And it worked really well. Yeah. And another thing you did in that challenge, and this will kind of tie everything together with the scale and everything, like we said, we would, we would talk about was you weighed in daily um, during that 30 day challenge and guess what? It wasn't linear. So the, the secondary point that you really drove home in that whole challenge was weight loss isn't linear and you're going to have fluctuations in the scale and you're going to have little quote unquote setbacks, if you even want to call it that. But that is going to, if you let it derail you, yes, it will derail you. But if you keep moving forward, things are going to work out all right. That was the thing that surprised me the most in that challenge because I was documenting it every day on my Instagram stories. And I did not expect that's actually when I really started going in more on scale fluctuations and all that. Cause I didn't, ex- I, that was my curse of knowledge. Like I didn't know that people didn't understand that. Yeah. But like, well, obviously it's not, you're not going to lose weight every day. Like if you lost a pound every week for a, a year, you'd lose 52 pounds that year. If you lost a pound for, if that for two years, it's 104 pounds. Like you really think it's going to happen every fucking week. Like it's crazy. <laughs> and, and, uh, it was, it was so interesting. Cause I remember I went to my buddy's wedding in the middle of the big Mac challenge and I still did it, but I, you know, I was like, I'm going to eat more. Like, even though, like, I, I want to show people you can lose weight. Like I'm not going to not have fun at my buddy's wedding. So I came back and I was like four pounds up and people lost it. They were like, mm-hmm. oh my God, like it's ruined. Da, 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 da. And they were messaging me. Like <laughs> you just ruined. I was like, watch, give me two days. <laughs> like let's, let's see what happens they're like and then the next day it was down a little bit and then two days it was back to normal there and oh i will never forget the messages people being like i would have given up i would have thrown in the towel if i saw i gained four pounds from a wet I, that would have been it and it was funny because a lot of the women were like i thought it was only me that had fluctuations like that i thought only women had fluctuations like that it's like no, like humans, every human will have weight fluctuations, mm-hmm. all of them. Uh, women, you can actually, it's actually easier from a, a female perspective, from a prediction, like you can tend to predict it better because of your cycle, which is one of the best parts about tracking your weight daily is like, you will know when your weight is about to go up based on where you are in your cycle. You track it every day for six months. You will know when your weight is going up, when it's going down. And oftentimes women will feel stronger at different phases in their cycle. They'll feel weaker at different phases in their cycle. It's like, when you track this and you get that data, you learn so much about yourself. It's like it's it's it becomes such a great tool when instead of looking at that number as as a a figure representing your your self worth, it's just this is another data point. It's just like it tells me like nothing in isolation. And it's funny when I work with clients, it's it's I never I never I say it from the very beginning. I'm like, listen, for the first thirty days, you are not allowed to be upset about your weight. There's, you cannot complain to me about your weight for the first 30 days. And they're like, well, why? I'm like, because we don't compare your weight on June 1st to your weight on June 2nd. We don't compare your weight on June 1st to your weight on June 3rd. We don't compare your weight on June 1st to your weight on June 10th. We compare your weight on June 1st to your weight on July 1st. And we compare your weight on June 2nd to your weight on July 2nd. We compare monthly. We don't do daily or weekly or biweekly, none of that. It's every month. And when you start tracking month to month, the fluctuations mean nothing. It's the trend over time. And even in my app, I got like my app developer to make this this, uh, trend that shows you like you track over time and there's a big bubble that comes up. And the first day you open the, the weight tracker, it says, don't complain about your weight for the first 30 days. You have to track it over time. And the trend line doesn't even show up until you've tracked every day for 30 days. Oh, so it's like, cool. so literally it's like, you can start to see, well, yeah, maybe on, on June 2nd, your weight was higher than it was on June 1st, but your weight on July 2nd was lower than your weight on June 2nd. So then you can start to see that trend and you can start to predict when it's going to fluctuate up based on, on your cycle or where you are in the month or the foods you ate, any of that stuff. So it becomes this thing where you have a fun game with yourself. All right, what's going to happen tomorrow? Like, it doesn't matter like how much you ate or any of that. It's more just like what happens around this time every month is what's going to happen to my body. And and Mm -hmm. it's a really, really cool game. You can play. Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down as opposed to be worrying that it's going to go up and and hoping that it goes down. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I've probably been weighing myself daily with, you know, little blips here and there, of course, because that's life. But I mean, good part of seven, eight years or something like that. And I can pretty much wake up and be like, it's going to be up today. You just know it's going to be down today. <laughs> and I'm in a diet phase right now. And I woke up today and I was like, I feel good. It's going to be low. And we tied the low. <laughs> yeah, You can feel it. You can actually yeah. you can literally feel and actually oftentimes even in your skin, sometimes you can feel if like you're holding on to more water. Yeah. And other times you can feel it once the water like flushes out, like what you call it a whoosh. It's like you can feel when that happens. And when you start to pay attention to it. Yeah. yeah and I think part of that, like when you, when you have a coach and you have someone by your side, they can help you look at the data and like, kind of help you look at things that you, maybe you never would have thought of before. And like you were saying, like having to be like, Hey, don't throw, throw in the towel. Like, let's keep going. Like, let's look at the trends over time. And I think that that's, it's just so knowledgeable. Even if you work with someone just for like, or work with someone or have an app or whatever it might be, you're just trying to be a little bit more in tune with yourself. And I think it just pays off so, so much in the long run. It never made sense to me, the whole anti-scale movement. I I would just laugh at the hypocrisy because they'll say things like the scale doesn't matter. And then they're like, just the, they'll say things like, you know, it's just, an, it's an inanimate object. It doesn't matter. I'm like, well, yeah, if it's an inanimate object and it doesn't matter, then why the fuck is it pissing you off so much? Like, <laughs> why do you have to smash it with a baseball bat if it doesn't matter? Like the fact that you can't control your emotions to an innate, like, are you just smashing your lamp because it doesn't matter? <laughs> That's a really unhealthy relationship that you have. If you have to break it or can't look at it or have an anxiety attack when you go to the doctor and weigh yourself, like that's a real issue. If it's an inanimate object that doesn't matter, then you should be able to step on it and have it truly not matter. And the mm -hmm. only way you do that is through learning how it works. Yeah. You don't avoid it. If someone's scared of something, you don't just, if your child is scared of something, you don't say like, oh, just, just don't do it. Just, just avoid it. It's like, no, you face it. It's like exposure therapy 101. This isn't like, this isn't uh super high level psychology. If someone's scared of spiders, you don't just say, well, avoid spiders at all costs. You say like, no, okay. So you're, you're, petrified of spiders all right so you sit that person in a room and you say in the next building across the street there's a spider the <laughs> next week they come in okay cool in this building in a cage locked up is a spider nowhere near us the next week they come in it's like okay cool in the room next to us in a cage all locked up is a spider then you show them on a tv screen the next week hey there's the spider in the room next to us in that cage you can't touch it it can't touch you it's like not scary right then they bring that spider into the room in the cage it's locked up can't touch it then you end up opening the cage spiders in there and it doesn't bother you or like it's a process, but it's exposure therapy. You don't get better, a better relationship with the scale by avoiding it. You think like, and people will literally not go to the doctor because they're scared of weighing themselves. It's like, that's a fucking bad idea. You're not going to get your blood work done. You're not going to have your physician check you out because you're scared of that inanimate object that you say doesn't matter. Like develop a better relationship with it. Expose yourself to it. Learn how it works. Don't avoid it. Yeah. I actually have a client. Um, he's a longtime client of mine, definitely more on the like recreational bodybuilder side, just has been doing this for a while. He said something interesting once. I would love to hear your take on this. Um, he talks about this with people talking about a relationship with food and a relationship oh, with the scale. Say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm curious. He has mentioned that, you know, they're inanimate objects. They're not things that you can technically have relationships with, but it's a reflection of the relationship you have with yourself. Uh, when you see that number and you assign a relationship to the scale of it's unhealthy, is that a reflection of your relationship with yourself? No, it's also I, I knew what you were going to say. So I Google searched the definition of relationship while you were talking. <laughs> and the definition is the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected oh. or the state of being connected. You do have a relationship. Like I have the relationship between me and this microphone right now. It's like, there's a relationship there. It doesn't mean we have a sexual relationship. It doesn't mean we have an intimate relationship, like hopefully not with the microphone, but <laughs> There's, but you have a relationship, my relationship to my phone, my, like that you absolutely have relationships with things. It's not just about whether or not you can communicate with them. That's not the sole way that you have a relationship, like the relationship to X versus Y, like we know that. So I don't like that discussion at all. And I know a lot of people have been like, don't say you have a relationship with the scale or relationship with food. You can only have relationships with people. That's fucking wrong. Number one. Um, 
And no, because that the scale is spitting out a number at you. And, and it's not about your relationship with yourself. It's what you think that number means. It's what you, it's not what the number actually means. It's what you think it means. The scale goes up two pounds. You think it means you gain two pounds of fat. So you get really upset about it. It's, it's not about your relationship with yourself as much as it is, oh, I think the scale is telling me that I've gained two pounds of fat. But when you really understand what it means, it's like, oh, it doesn't bother me because I know I didn't gain two pounds of fat. It's a normal fluctuation. Right. That's what I think I got out of him saying that was it's about your interpretations. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I can see where you're coming from with, with that as well. I, I did not know that I'd be the, another person to ask you that. <laughs> Yeah, I, there's a whole group of people who get mad every time I say a relationship with food. Relationship oh, wow. With hmm. There's a whole, you know, comments are just filled with a whole I bunch of- I have no idea. It's yeah. so weird that people, people love get to offended. nowadays, yeah. 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 <laughs> love, love being offended, love being the victim. Yeah, they absolutely oh, yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, cool. For the sake of time, because I know that we, we have to wrap up, um, but- I, uh, first of all, congratulations, uh, for you and your wife. It's so, so, so exciting. Um, she's doing, well, your guys are on baby watch, but she's technically doing five days, right? Wow. Yeah. You're good. Technically okay. five days. Yeah, she had an OB appointment today and I saw that like, not like, uh, oh, you saw that she had the OB appointment today. Yes. Yeah. Christina oh, is in tune with the, with the mom stuff. Yeah. I, I just had a baby five months ago. So oh, That's amazing. <laughs> thank you. So I'm, I'm just so, so excited since it was my first. Um, so I wanted to dive into this and I know that I actually just listened to your podcast that you recently did. I think, uh, late July about like father figures oh, in your yeah, life. Yeah. Um, so that was a really, really good one. And I love because you, you obviously are like a health and fitness expert. Um, I love one of the things that you said is like, I don't care what my kids do. I don't care if they touch weights, like whatever yeah. they want to do, I'm going to be involved in their life, which I absolutely love, but I'm sure that you plan on raising them with some ideas and values of being healthy and what that means. Um, even if it doesn't mean that they're not lifting, you know, or wrestling or whatever it might be. So, um, I guess, you know, what are your, what are your plans as of right now? I know that's going to change over time, but if you could, what are your plans for parenting in that sense? Yeah. So there, there's a couple of things. I, I can't control what my kids are interested in or not interested in, but I can absolutely do my best to set them up for a healthy life. Like, I don't care if they do Zumba or Pilates or rollerblading or wrestling or weightlifting. I just want them to be healthy. Um, so the first thing I'll do is like my wife and I, we live very healthy lifestyles. So like we're just going to set a good example. Like we're going to make sure they see that our workouts are scheduled in our calendar. And like those are non-negotiables for us. Um, and and they're going to see that like we're eating overall very healthy foods, but like we also enjoy like some traditionally unhealthy foods. And and they'll also see that when we go on vacation, we'll probably not work out. And that's okay. Like we're just going to be with the family during the vacation. We don't need to go to the gym and get the workout in or we're going to lose all our progress. So set the example that we want them to live by. Um, and from from an athletic perspective i i mean fr- never mind athletic i mean from an overall um holistic perspective i'm going to put my kids in a whole bunch of different things so um from an athletic perspective the first sport i'll have all of my kids do god willing i have more than one is uh gymnastics i think it's like the best foundational sport for kids um i am biased because i i did gymnastics when i was like 2 and i did it from like 2 to 5 but there actually is a significant amount of research showing that once you've already learned to scale, especially as a kid, it's much easier to get back as an adult and to maintain it your whole life. And so gymnastics is just like the ultimate strength, mobility, coordination, kinesthetic awareness, all of that. So I love gymnastics for that part, whether or not my my daughter or any of my kids would want to compete. I don't care. But just starting with that, I think it's really, and it's fun, you know, somersaults and rolling and fun and you're interacting with other kids and jumping and twisting and just like fun. So I want them to do that. Then from there, definitely wrestling and or jujitsu for sure, for many reasons, not least of which um, self-defense is super important. Like just, I just, I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, especially for my daughter, uh, like, especially for sons and daughters, but like, I want, I want her to be able to feel confident to defend herself and to like, you know, be able to take care of herself and jujitsu, especially is like, I think 
I think jujitsu is probably even more important for women than men for a number of reasons. Um, wrestling is great. Often it is based on your strength and your ability to be explosive and your size. Jujitsu, the best part about it, it teaches a, uh, uh, it was originally made for smaller people to be able to beat bigger people. It's like, it's such an, an amazing art. And I mean, I go to jujitsu, I've been doing it just about three years now. And there's a girl at my academy. She's 15. Her name's Vanessa. She's been doing it for years. She's unbelievable. She weighs like 90 pounds. And when I tell you, if I got in a real fight with this girl on the street, she would literally, and I'm not saying this, she would literally kill me. She's like 90 pounds, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it for three years, but she's been doing it her whole life. She wow. would fucking, she would choke me out. She would break my arm. God forbid anybody, guy or or woman, tries to hurt this girl, they're fucked. Wow. And she's tiny, tiny little girl. Um, so yeah, definitely gymnastics and jujitsu, wrestling if they want to, not necessarily, they don't have to do that. But then, you know, we'll also uh, want to get them involved in theater. Like I want to get them involved doing plays and acting and, and all of that stuff. Cause oftentimes I know when I grew up, it was like, are you a theater kid or are you a sports kid? And I, yeah. I did both. Like I loved it. I actually just only once I got to like sophomore year in high school, then I switched to only sports, but my mom made me do theater. She made me do a uh, um, chorus. Sure. She made me do like all this stuff. So uh, theater and acting and sports um, and uh, what else? I don't know chess club i think chess will be super like that'd be a fun thing to do it's a good thing to do um and i had someone in my dms recently a woman saying well, what if she doesn't want to do that stuff i was like what if she doesn't want to wear a seatbelt? You, know, you put your fucking seatbelt on like i'm the parent you're the kid like, like I'll, maybe and again this might be how i was raised but like there were many things i didn't want to do as a kid that my mom said tough shit like you're fucking doing it and like you don't have to do it forever but you have to try Cause I feel like if it's a kid, I didn't want to do most things. Like, I was like, I don't know. I'd rather just stay at home and relax and hang out with friends. And like, it's like, no, it's like, you have to do shit. It's like you, and I don't, like, if they don't want to do something tough shit, you're living in my house. Like you're going to go do it. And then they'll be thankful and grateful for it. They're not going to be grateful when they're 30 years old and look back and be like, wow, like I did nothing. And people ask, well, how do I find my passion? You find your passion by doing things for trying new things. And, you, my mom would never let me quit in the middle of a season mm. or like if I was in the middle, like if I, if I tried out for a play, I made the play. And then like three weeks in, I was like, I don't like my part. Or I don't like the people. It's like, well, you committed and they're counting on you. So you have to finish it. But once this is over, if you don't want to do acting again, that's fine. At least you've tried it. So it's like, yeah. you, you got to do shit. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll have my kids do a whole bunch of stuff and whatever it is they're interested, that's fine. But in terms of fitness and nutrition, just set a good example and start them early. And, and as long as, as they're healthy, like, I don't care if like, they don't need to work out, like work out two times a week, three times a week, make sure you're getting your steps in overall eating. Well, that's all I really care about. Like, I just want you to be healthy. I don't need you to be uh, an elite athlete and, and also be able to defend yourself. That's, that's going to be very important. Mm, I love it. I love it. <laughs> that reminds me of, um, have you read grit by Angela Duckworth? I have not, but everyone tells me. I yes, that's well, a huge parenting book. Yeah, what you said reminded me of she has what's called the hard thing rule for her kids. And it's just mm. pick something that's hard and you have to commit to it and you have to do it from start to finish. And once it's done, who cares if you like it or not? But like you have to commit to doing a hard thing. I think it was, yeah. was it every year or something, Christina? Uh, I can't remember. I forget the time course, but it's a great concept, right? Because it's I just like, that. try the stuff, build the neural pathways, the resiliency to stuff and like, just become a more well-rounded individual. Yeah. It's super important. Yeah. Even like as an adult, like as an adult, you often don't have the accountability as when you have a parent to really force you to do it. But like, as an adult, I have to force, like, there's so many things I force myself to do that I don't want to do. And I think if my mom didn't make that a habit of mine as a young kid, I, I doubt I would I doubt I would have anything that I have today if it wasn't for that habit that she created of like, you got to do hard shit. Yeah. You have to. Yep. Awesome. So we have one question left um, and it should be a pretty quick one. Um, if well, you I have... ramble, as you know. So <laughs> You're good. Another hour. <laughs> You're good. Um, but this is something we ask all of our guests on our show to close out episodes. Um, if you had to give one 
overarching tip to our audience on how to live a healthy and sustainable fit lifestyle, what would that be? Walk more. That's, that's really it. It's like, it's walking and it's something that I've become super passionate about. If you follow my content really the last like two and a half, three years. Um, I, I think a lot of my content, it's still a lot of it is, is weight loss based, but I think in the last year it's become much more health based as opposed to solely weight loss. And as I've been diving into the research, especially around like the healthiest populations in the world, it's so crazy. They all walk a lot. They all walk a lot. And and the cool part is their nutrition habits are so different. There's not a singular diet that is clearly the best across populations. I mean, yeah. the Okinawans have uh, have a certain diet, like they're among the healthiest populations. The people the Greek have a very different diet. Um, actually, I, I believe it was Switzerland, I think. Uh, Switzerland, somewhere in that area that is like top five healthiest in the world. It's like their diet's completely fucking, like they definitely don't have a Mediterranean style diet, which is like, <laughs> I try and have more of a Mediterranean style because I enjoy it. And it's, it's very nutrient rich, but the most healthy populations across the world over and over and over again, walk the most. That's it. It's like, it. it's not necessarily weightlifting. If you want to weightlift, great. I love lifting weights. If you want to do, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever fucking workout you want to do, go for it, but just walk, just walk. And I'll, this is the craziest thing. Every time I talk about walking and walking and walking, I'll, I'll recommend the research shows generally like a minimum of 7,500 steps a day being like, where like, is it, you get the most benefits between 7,500 to 10,000. And, um, there is some research showing up to 16,000, but that's just not realistic for the vast majority of people. So like I, I try and get my clients to 7,500 and once they're there, I'm like, great. Once you can maintain that amazing. Um, but if let's say someone's at like a thousand a day at first, I'll go to 1500 and then from 1500, we'll go to 2000, but up to 7,500 is really where I think like that's the ideal baseline, but I'll always get people being like, well, so do the steps I take in my workout count or do I have to get steps separately? I'm like, what the fuck is that question? Like, and <laughs> I, I, I get this question every day. Like, is it the, do steps I take in my work? I don't care when you take your fucking step. I don't care if it's, you're walking to the refrigerator. Those steps count. I don't care if you're walking to work. I don't care if you're walking on the treadmill, every step counts. And if we can just get people focused on moving more, when you're on the phone, go on a walk, walk around your apartment. Like I, I got a walking pad for my office. And it's like, it's been so helpful. Anytime I have a business call, I hop on that. And usually by the end of an hour long business call, I've got like 8,000 steps. It's like amazing. It's, it's, it's so much easier. So just walk, just, I told you I could ramble. I'll ramble for fucking ever. Like just walk more, like more than anything, just walk. Because it's, if you, let's say we all know having too high of a body fat percentage is obviously not healthy, but if we take two people, same height, same weight, same body fat percentage, one of those people is completely sedentary. And one of those people is walking on a regular basis. The person who walks is significantly healthier. We know that for a fact, they're, they're much more metabolically active, uh, much, much healthier overall, more generally more lean muscle mass, all of that stuff. And, and well, excessive body fat is not good for many reasons. The person who's active is going to have better, uh, uh, they're going to have better, uh, insulin control, insulin regulation. They're going to have overall better, uh, blood markers and overall health in general, just because they walk more. So it's like, please just walk. It is, it's, you can't, you can't underestimate or you can't overestimate how important it is. Like it's, it's incredible. I love it. Simple mm -hmm. to the point. Doesn't fucking matter how you get it. Just, just walk. It's true. Jordan Sire right there. <laughs> um, Christina, you want to close this out? Yeah. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I feel like, oh God, we probably could have talked to you for another couple of hours um, but we just really, really appreciate it. And congratulations, baby watch. So, so, so exciting. Um, where can our audience find you on social media? Uh, if you Google my name, Jordan, people need to learn how to use the Google machine. Like just <laughs> Google. If you want to find me on podcasts, I have my podcast, find me on Instagram. I have an Instagram, just Google Jordan, Syatt, J -O -R -D -A -N -S -Y -A -T -T, and you will find me on every platform. And we awesome. will cripple our audience and put it all in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, awesome. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can find both of us on Instagram. You can find me at Christine Fit. Marissa is at Marissa Roy Fitness. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we hope to see you back next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something from it. Please remember that Christina and I are not medical professionals, so if you're going to make any changes to your exercise or nutrition routines, please consult with your doctor or medical team first. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday here at the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast.